Hey there, I'm Melanie Reed, and this is The HR Mentor. I want to begin today in a good way by acknowledging that I'm recording this episode from my home, which is located on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Tecumlips to Shekwetmik people within Shekwetmikulu. And I'm very grateful to live, work, and play on these beautiful lands. Well, you had to know that this episode was coming. Everyone is suddenly talking about quiet quitting. So I figured it was time for me to weigh in with a little bit of perspective. As an emerging HR professional, you might be seeing posts that express panic about this latest workplace crisis. And you might also be seeing others that say, this is nothing new. This is simply employee engagement or a lack thereof. As the conversation continues, you might find yourself getting a little bit confused. I know I was. So on the episode today, I'm going to get to the root of the term quiet quitting and try to break down what it is and what HR professionals may or may not want to do about it. It's so easy to fall into the excitement of headlines, but in my view, even a little bit of clarity can bring calm. And I really like calm. So let's get started. Welcome to the HR Mentor Podcast, the podcast for emerging HR practitioners to get practical advice, tools, and strategies to build credibility, confidence, and ultimately a fulfilling HR career. Let's start this off with a couple of slightly opposing definitions of quiet quitting. According to a Harvard Business Review article by Jack Zenger and Joseph Folkman released last week, quiet quitting is an employee's refusal to do discretionary work, to go above and beyond. This is the most common definition out there, and you probably already saw the article. A CBC article written by Jenna Benchitrit presents it slightly differently. Benchitrit says, While the words quiet quitting are loaded, evoking images of a slacker or 'er ne'er-do-well for some, others say that the approach frees up time to spend with family and friends or to take care of oneself. In short, it's a renewed commitment to life beyond the workplace. But behind the trend is a starker reality. And I think this point she makes is really important. Employees want to be fairly compensated for additional time and work, especially as the COVID-19 pandemic exacerbates occupational burnout and mental health issues. The ball is squarely in the court of employers, managers, executives, as experts say. Now, Zenker and Folkman also believe that this is an employer issue. They believe that quiet quitting is a result of the relationship between an employee and their manager. We've long known that a key to employee engagement is the relationship with the manager and whether or not they inspire and support their workers. You know that saying, people join organizations and leave managers. And I do believe this is true. When your people don't trust you, it makes it really hard for them to get on board with your vision. Zenger and Folkman point out that trust can be a key solution, which I also believe is true. 
I even did a whole episode on building trust, especially how important it is as an HR professional. So if you want to learn more about that, you can check out episode 16, how to build trust in your HR role. Well, I agree with what Zenker and Folkman are saying and some of their suggested solutions. I really don't think this is the whole story, that it's just about manager and employee. The term quiet quitting took off this summer when a 24-year-old engineer named Zayed Khan posted a TikTok video that went viral, as so many of them do. In the video, he boiled it down very simply. Quiet quitting is doing your job, but not necessarily going above and beyond and not subscribing to hustle culture. He goes on to say that who you are is not defined by what you do. So what's wrong with that? No, really, what's wrong with people coming to work every day, doing their job, and going home? One of my favorite comedians and talk show hosts, Trevor Noah, just posted a video about this, and I think he said it best, or maybe the most cheeky way of saying it. If you work nine to five, emails should stop at five. Any message after five is basically a booty call. If you get a text at 7.45 from your boss checking to see if you filed that expense report, it should start with, uh, uh, hey, you up? Joking aside, he has a point. Trevor basically says the same thing that a lot of us are saying. What is wrong with people doing their job within the hours that they agreed to do it in? Adam Grant, a well-known organizational psychologist, author, and host of the TED podcast Work Life, also recently posted about this. His take was this. One of our greatest mistakes is imposing our suffering on the next generation. The fact that you endured unreasonable demands and unclear expectations doesn't mean others should. The responsibility of leaders is not to repeat the errors of the past. It's to improve the future. Let that sink in. And why are employers in the media making such a fuss about this? Grant points out that viewpoints on quiet quitting really differ based on generations. More than 60% of people aged 30 to 44, 73% of those aged 45 to 64, and 82% of people aged 65 plus in a study done in the U.S. believe that employees should always go above and beyond. Yet 65% of those aged 19 to 29 feel the opposite that workers should do the work they're paid to do. So maybe it's the case that the managers panicking about it actually expect their employees to do more than what they're paid for. I've worked in HR for over 20 years, and I've always been somebody who's been a above and beyond kind of person, or at least I believe myself to be. But that has come at a cost to me at various points in my career. It's taken away time with my family, it's robbed me of rest, and in some cases, my mental and physical health. And in fact, it's led me to be disengaged over time when that above and beyond became the expectation and it wasn't recognized for what it was, which is doing more than I'm getting paid for. And honestly, what is wrong with wanting to get paid fairly for the work you do 
and resisting the idea that you should do more than what you're compensated for. As an HR professional, I often had conversations with managers about the employment contract. It was usually in the context of an employee who was maybe not performing their job fully or coming to work on a regular basis. Managers often felt bad about pushing back on employees who simply were not attending work and they were afraid to ask for more information as to why this was happening. I would tell them that there is this fundamental exchange that happens when we hire someone. We offer to pay them a certain wage, a set of benefits and perks, and in exchange for that, they do a set of functions and duties for us, i.e. the work. That is all the employment contract is. Without the exchange, there is no contract. The same way you hire someone to paint your house, you agree to pay them X number of dollars for your house to get painted. If they don't paint the house, the contract wasn't fulfilled and you don't pay them. Pretty simple, right? I think sometimes we forget this about the employment relationship. But there's another side to this story that back in my HR days, we probably weren't talking about. We only hired them to do what was in their job description for the hours we agreed to hire them for. When we create a role in an organization, us savvy HR folks create a job description. We conduct job analysis, and with the manager, we usually determine what body of work can be completed in this particular job in the hours specified. It's definitely not an exact science, But if done well, we should have a reasonable assessment of what can get done. We put that in a job description, we advertise the job, and then we hire someone to do that work. We agree to pay a rate of pay that's calculated based on some sort of job evaluation. And of course, the job description. Again, pretty straightforward. This is HR and Job Analysis 101. So if this is what we do, and it's all true, Why are we up in arms when those employees decide that they aren't going to do more than that? And why do they even have to say that they're not going to do more than that? If I understand this correctly, quiet quitting is doing your job and not doing more than your job. If suddenly this so-called phenomenon is resulting in an overall drop in productivity, then I would say it's not really a problem with quiet quitting or workers it's more of a problem with job design. If your organization is functioning at a productivity level of 100%, rare, but let's say it is, and when people start doing their job the way it was described and what they're compensated for, then you don't have an engagement problem. You have a problem with how you design roles and assign work if somehow productivity is dropping when people are just doing their job. Perhaps employee engagement scores are down overall in North America. I have seen a few articles that allude to that. According to one of the biggest employee engagement assessment firms, Gallup, this is what is happening, at least in the U.S. They say that in 2020, 36% of employees were engaged. In 2021, it was 34. And now in 2022, it's 32%. Okay, so what? Let me challenge you with this idea. Maybe it's time to redefine the measurements we use in workplaces to determine how well we're doing as employers. 
employee engagement has now become a fairly common measurement of organizational success. I know I've worked with many different surveys over the years and pushed the agenda of engagement in organizations. I even worked somewhere where the performance of the top leader was measured on the overall employee engagement score. But do we even really have a clear, common understanding of what engagement means? I think most of us in HR circles would say it's an overall measure of a whole bunch of stuff. But ultimately, the way it's been described, or at least my knowledge, is that it's the amount of discretionary effort employees are willing to put forth. So what does discretionary effort mean? Well, the most common definition is discretionary effort is the level of effort people could give if they wanted to, but above and beyond the minimum required. Aubrey Daniels, PhD, gets credit for that one. (laughs) So if employee engagement means discretionary effort, and discretionary effort means going above and beyond what's required for your job, maybe we have a measurement problem. But let's look at this definition a little further. In 2008, Sandeep Kular and others published an article called Employee Engagement Literature Review. They acknowledge that one of the challenges with employee engagement is that there is not one agreed upon definition, or at least they felt that at the time. On the topic of a definition, they offer this from 1990. Kahn, who is credited with having completed the most influential study on engagement, defines employee engagement as this, the harnessing of organization members' selves to their work roles. In engagement, people employ and express themselves physically, cognitively, and emotionally during role performances. The cognitive aspect of employee engagement concerns employee beliefs about the organization, its leaders, and working conditions. The emotional aspect concerns how employees feel about each of those three factors and whether they have positive or negative attitudes towards the organization and its leaders. The physical aspect of employee engagement concerns the physical energies exerted by individuals to accomplish their roles. Thus, according to Kahn, 1990, engagement means to be psychologically as well as physically present when occupying and performing an organizational role. Let me summarize that last sentence again. Engagement means to be psychologically as well as physically present when occupying and performing an organizational role. There's nothing in there about doing more than the role you're hired to do. All it talks about is being connected to the role you're asked to do and in some cases, the organization. Over time, some other experts have likened employee engagement to organizational commitment, which has some elements of voluntary work or effort. Some others say it's a state of flow or being deeply connected to the work. But whatever the case, over time, the term discretionary effort has been added to the commonly felt definition I know when we look at employee engagement in first-year HR textbooks, talks about discretionary effort. Again, the authors of the Kular paper state that employee engagement is a complicated construct with many different facets and elements. 
And I could go on about the differences in different countries and cultures and more of the nuances, but you're welcome to read the paper yourself. I'll definitely put a link in the show notes so you can find it. But the point of sharing all this is that we've got a measurement that many companies who conduct surveys have linked to successful business performance. And they're doing it on the basis of a definition that says good employees, great employees are engaged, meaning they're going above and beyond and expending discretionary effort. And so if that's the commonly held belief, it's no wonder that they're panicking. Look, Employees are challenging this notion that in order to be a good employee, you need to fall into that discretionary effort definition of engaged. I've even seen videos of business people saying there's no room for quiet quitters in their organization. What? There's no room for people who do their job and probably do it well? What are we as HR folks to do about all this? Well, for starters, I believe it's time to not leave all the challenging to the workers. I think it's time to start challenging how we measure successful performance in a role. If your organization doesn't place value on people coming to work and doing their jobs the way you advertised and designed them, that's a you problem, not a them problem. And if you're a leader and you're not setting an example or pushing back on the people above you when the expectations are unrealistic, That's really a you problem, not a them problem. If your employees are telling you there is more work there than there are hours to do it, and you simply tell them to figure it out, you probably won't be keeping those workers for very long. And can you blame them? Call it the great reset, call it pandemic fatigue, call it whatever you like, but I'm definitely here for some realistic expectations of work and workers. My email account even gets it. In my job, I can pretty much work whenever I want as long as my job gets done. It's the beauty of being a professor. And I know I'm very fortunate to have that flexibility. My job is not a nine to five job. So sometimes I choose to work in the evening, start my day later and spend time with my family, walk my dog, etc. Again, I know I'm very lucky to be able to do this. But what this means is that sometimes I'm sending emails after normal work hours or working on the weekend. One thing I noticed over the summer is that even my Outlook email account is getting the hint about working normal hours, or at least it's trying to give me the hint. When I craft an email after 5 p.m. on a normal workday, I get a notification that says, hey, you might want to save this email and send it during normal working hours. I find this brilliant because it honestly does make me pause and think about what I'm doing. Now, what else can you do? Well, the very first thing I suggest is really start listening to employees. That is if you want to keep them. Employees generally want to work for an organization that gives them a sense of purpose to get behind and a reason to care about the work. Tell them a story about why they should. And please don't try and trick them into doing more. Stop glamorizing and celebrating unrealistic expectations and hours. If you can mobilize your team to get through a big project, and that means you have a period of time where there's a lot of focus and effort on that one thing, don't expect them to give up their whole life for it. 
or keep doing their regular job. As I prepared for this episode, I thought a lot about my own work history and some of the leaders I've known over the years. And I can tell you, very few of them set great examples of this. Most of them were unfortunately very stressed. They worked incredibly long hours, they sent emails after work, and they weren't too thrilled when you wanted to take time off. In fact, some of the more senior HR leaders I've interacted with over the years made their rules appear very unattractive because they never got a break and everything was about work. So if you're in a more senior HR role or any HR role where people look up to you, try and set a good example. Prioritize your own well-being. Set realistic expectations. Give people clarity in their role and celebrate when a job gets done between the hours of work you determined it could be done in. Chances are, if you do that, you're going to have a very dedicated, happy, and healthy group of people who do a damn good job. And again, I ask you, what the heck is wrong with that? This is just my view on quiet quitting. And if you have thoughts on this topic, I would love to hear from you or share what you see happening in your workplace. Or if you just want to express some love for the HR mentor, you can send me a message on LinkedIn, email, or leave a comment and five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. And if you're not already a member of the HR Mentor Fan Club, sign up today and get access to amazing extras and resources. The Fan Club is a virtual space where you can listen to special bonus episodes of the podcast, download free resources, and get a chance to access special discounts on future programs. You can find the link in the show notes for this episode at www.thehrmentor.podbean.com, as well as a link to the related episodes and a sign-up page for the Fan Club membership. And if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, be sure to click the button wherever you're listening and send me some questions or some love with a message. As always, thank you so much for listening. Your time is greatly appreciated. Take care. Stay well. Bye for now.